Well, have you ever done something or maybe something was done to you or around you that was so shocking, so sudden, it stopped you in your tracks? Time seems to stand still. You don't know what to do or how to respond. A couple of months ago, uh, my wife, Sabrina, and I, we took one of our daughters down to Fort Collins for the day for her birthday. We uh, went out to eat, did some shopping, and then ended the day at a local ice cream shop there in Fort Collins that we in. Enjoy. We all ordered our ice cream, and then I went off to use the restroom, which is kind of down the hallway, kind of out of sight from the, the lobby of the ice cream store. I went into the restroom, locked the door, did what I needed to do, washed my hands, which by the way, side note, I think every public restroom should be outfitted with an alarm that goes off if you leave without washing your hands. Side note, that's gross. Wash your hands. So I washed my hands. I, I opened the door and stepped out. And when I stepped out, I was met with something that I never, ever, ever expected. As soon as I opened the door and stepped out, a, a teenage young man jumped out at me, yelled, and snapped me with a towel. Ah! He started laughing at me. Ah! Like it stopped me in my tracks. Time stood still. I thought, did that really just happen? I did not know what to do or how to respond. And when I saw the look on his face, I realized he was just as shocked as I was. His eyes were as big as, as saucers. He was like, oh my word, sir, I am so sorry. Turned around and ran away. You see, this, this young man was one of the employees of the ice cream shop. I don't know how it all went down, but apparently he thought one of his coworkers was in the bathroom. They must have been having a, a towel fight. And as soon as I jumped out, he wasted no time to, to ambush me and snap me with a towel before he ever realized what he had, he had done. So I walk out into the lobby area of this ice cream shop to see him telling one of his coworkers what had happened. They both looked mortified. Sabrina was like, what in the world is going on? They, they both looked like they were about to get fired. So I lit into, no, I didn't, I didn't do that. I, I, actually, I actually smiled, nodded my head. We walked out of the store with our ice cream and I, and I knew I would one day share this as a sermon illustration and <laughs> today's the day. So that, that's, a, that's a funny illustration of something sudden that happens in life that, that can kind of stop you in your tracks. Time stands still. You, you ask questions uh, like, did that really happen? You don't know how to respond. But the thing I want to talk to us about today is actually not funny at all. It's something that none of us want to face in life, but all of us eventually will. It can elicit a very similar response. Time stands still. Um, you don't know how to respond or what to say. You might even ask, did that really happen? Today, I want to talk to us about sorrow. If you're new here, by the way, uh, my name is Jeff Manis. I am the lead pastor here. And uh, for you and everyone who's joined us today, including anybody who's joining us on video, I'm just so glad, so honored that you have chosen to be here with us today. Our vision here is to guide people to experience life to its fullest, connect into meaningful relationships and make a lasting impact. And my desire, my prayer is that all of us will continue to experience those things here in our church. Today we're continuing our Christmas sermon series called There is 
hope. And as you heard uh, earlier in the service, our Christmas Eve services actually start this coming Sunday, December 22nd. Uh, We'll be having our normal 9 and 11 a.m. service times, no 6 p.m. service next week, all right? And then we'll have uh, 3 and 5 p.m. services on Tuesday, Christmas Eve. All four services are exactly the same, so please don't think you're missing out. If you choose to attend one day but not the other, just pick whatever day and time works best for you. And for those that you might uh, invite to attend, Christmas, uh, Christmas season has this way of making almost a- anyone, everyone, at least willing to consider attending church. So don't waste the opportunity this Christmas to invite someone to attend Christmas Eve. There are some invite cards uh, on the chairs when you came in. There's some more available, I believe, in the lobby. Uh, so if you want to take one of those to invite one, please do that. At least pray about who God might have you invite to Christmas Eve. And then not only can you use these invite cards, but also if you go to our Facebook page, just go to Facebook and look up uh, Element Church or facebook.com slash elementchurch.life. There is a digital invite pinned to the top of our feed. And if you, if you use Facebook and you have access to it right now on a mobile device, I would even say go there now. I want to see all sorts of shares. Go to Facebook, look up Element Church, go to our, our feed and share that digital invite. Uh, you can do that today. You can do that all throughout this week as well. I want to challenge all of us. Use whatever means necessary this week to invite someone to attend at Christmas. You can also find us on Instagram. There's some stuff on there as well, elementchurch.life. And don't be late uh, this coming uh, for Christmas services. You don't want to be late. And I promise you, you're going to be so encouraged uh, by the service that we have planned for you. This whole series is born from one verse in the book of Matthew in the Bible. Matthew 12, verse 21 says this about Jesus. And his name will be the hope. Everyone say hope. Hope. His name will be the hope of all the world, which actually makes sense when we learned last week that the name of Jesus in the Hebrew language, which is what Jewish people would have used, the name Jesus in Hebrew is Yeshua, which means God saves. So even just in the meaning of his name, there is hope. Now, typically, the way we think about or understand the word save is to be saved from or forgiven from our sins. We actually see this in the birth story of Jesus in the book of Matthew when the angel visits Joseph and tells Joseph that his fiancee Mary is indeed pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit as a virgin. The, the angel says this, Matthew one twenty one, and she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Now, Matthew wrote his gospel in the Greek language, and when I went digging into that Greek word for save that we see in Matthew 121, I was blown away. That word save in the Greek language is the word sozo. Uh, We actually have it for you in the Greek there. just looks super cool. In fact, it looks so cool, we had some t-shirts and stickers made. Uh, We sold a bunch last week. There's more available. It'd be an awesome uh, Christmas gift. They're available at the Element uh, store. I think it would also make a pretty sweet tattoo, but that's another story. But not only does it look really cool, like the definition of this word is so deep and so profound. The definition of the word sozo that we see save there in the English means to save, which is obvious, but it also means to heal, to preserve, 
to rescue, to deliver, to make whole. It's a very deep and profound word. There is hope. And that hope is in the name of Jesus. And why is there hope in the name of Jesus? Because Jesus saves. He sozos us. He saves us from our sins. He, he delivers and rescues us in our storms. Last week we saw how Jesus is our hope because Jesus is our healer. And listen, I can't even describe to you what happened in this room last week. It was absolutely incredible. If you were here, you, you know that. Yeah, with, if you want to clap, that's awesome. It was amazing. Like, I, I'm not sure I have, I have felt the Spirit of God uh, more present in a service at Element than, than a, in, a, in a long, long time than, than we did last week. And we can't recreate what happened last week, but I would encourage you, if you missed the sermon, watch or, or listen to it uh, online. Today, I want us to see this big idea. It's on the screens if you want to write it down. Jesus is our hope because he has a solution for our sorrow. Jesus is our hope because he has a solution for our sorrow. Isaiah 53, verses 3 and 4, is a prophecy about the coming of the Messiah, which we now know Jesus fulfilled. It says this, speaking of Jesus, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our, what? Sorrows that weighed him down. Now listen, I know there are some people here in the room, you're watching or listening online, and one of the reasons why you don't believe in God or one of the reasons why you are, are struggling to continue believing in God is because God did not stop the thing that caused your sorrow. He, he didn't stop the death. He didn't stop the loss of a job, the news about the disease, the broken marriage, whatever it is. All sorts of things can cause different kinds of sorrow, but whatever it is, he didn't stop it. And it's causing you to struggle to believe. Like, I understand how confusing this can be for our faith. I, I don't know why God does not stop everything that causes sorrow. I, I, wish, I wish he did. All I know is this. While God does not always stop our sorrow, in Jesus, he provides a solution for it. Now, you don't have to believe that. You don't even have to believe in God or believe that God sent Jesus on our behalf and we will love you and honor you just the same because that's what God does for you. But it is what I believe, okay? And it's what I'm going to, to try and hold on to as I, too, have to walk through seasons of sorrow in my own life. Jesus is our hope because he has a solution for our sorrow. So the big question we've got to answer is this. What's the solution for our sorrow? If he has a solution, what is it? And listen, I understand that Within the sound of my voice, there are people who are walking through great times of sorrow right now. And I, I am in no way trying to trivialize or marginalize in any level of sorrow by suggesting to you that my 35-minute sermon will fix it. That's not going to happen. 
Like for some of you, you are in such a deep place of sorrow that this sermon might be something that helps you months from now, maybe not even today. So my prayer, my, my hope for this message is that for all of us, whether we're in a great spot or a time of great sorrow, that for all of us, it would just enable us by the power of the Spirit to take one more step in our faith. It might be a very small step for you, but just help us take one more step. The main scripture is Mark 5, 21 through 24, and then also verses 35 through 43. Mark is the third book in the New Testament portion of the Bible. We're actually going to finish the scripture we started last week. So another reason to go back and watch or listen to last week's message, we're going to finish the same passage that we were in. If you don't own your own Bible, we give them away every week. Hundreds of them we give away every year. And you're welcome to to have one. Just ask for a Bible out in the lobby. They're free of charge. Mark 5, starting in verse 21, says this. Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her, which is the Greek word sozo there. Sozo her so she can live. Jesus went with him and all the people followed, crowding around him. And now we're jumping to verse 35, if you're following in your Bible, skipping the portion that we preached on last week, uh, the story of Jesus healing the woman with constant bleeding. Verse 35 says this, while he was still speaking to her, the woman he healed, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith. Don't be afraid. Just have faith. Jesus is our hope because he's got a solution for our sorrow. And what is the solution for our sorrow? The first thing I see is this. He encourages us to trust him. He encourages us to trust him. Now, if I'm putting myself into this story, I cannot imagine the sorrow that must be felt in a moment like this. Some of you know this kind of moment all too well. You've experienced it personally. And Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that in this moment, this father was overwhelmed with sorrow. And as he was overwhelmed with sorrow, Jesus said, don't be afraid, just have faith. Interesting, this word afraid in the Greek language that it was written, it means this, to put to flight, to terrify, to frighten, or to withdraw. Isn't that what we are so often tempted to do in our sorrow? When we are tempted to withdraw from God? to run away from God, to to even blame God for our sorrow? Like when Jesus said to this father, don't be afraid, he wasn't just talking about being scared. He was talking about pulling away from him. That in this moment, Jesus was saying, don't pull away from me. Put your faith in me. Trust me. 
That word faith in the Greek language means this, I believe, have faith in, or trust in. So, so let me use this chair as an example. Now all the type A people can begin paying attention because I used the chair that was sitting there. <laughs> I say that because I am one. If I say I have faith this chair will hold me, but I refuse to sit in the chair, do I really have faith? Do I have any trust? No. That, that, that word faith we're looking at, it, it, it means leaning into. It, it's putting your, your full weight on someone or something. The problem is whenever we go through seasons of, of sorrow, whenever we face tragedy of any kind, our enemy, the devil, will try and convince us to be afraid, to, to pull away from Jesus, to withdraw from Jesus, to leave Jesus. But Jesus in this moment is saying to us the same thing he said to the Father. He's saying, don't be afraid, just have faith. Or more specifically, don't pull away from me. Put your faith in me. Don't leave me. Lean on me. Trust me. Even when life doesn't make sense. And before you start thinking, well, sure, easy for this dad to put his trust in Jesus. Jesus was about to raise his daughter from the dead. Which, by the way, sorry, spoiler alert. <laughs> Jesus is about to raise this little girl from the dead, but the father didn't know that. Jesus told him to trust him before he ever did anything for him before he ever raised his daughter from the dead. In, in our sorrow, our trust is not just a trust that Jesus can heal. It's not just a trust that Jesus can raise people from the dead. Our trust in Jesus is first a trust that even if he doesn't, my faith is in him alone. He invites us to trust him. That Jesus is the solution for our sorrow, not what he can do for us. That Jesus is our hope because he's got a solution for our sorrow. And what's the solution for our sorrow? He encourages us to trust him. He is the solution even when life doesn't make sense. The story continues, verse 37 then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He saw sorrow. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him, which before we, you know, rail on them, we'd probably do the same thing. If we were there, but he made them all leave and he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Now, again, we, we now know that the rest of the story, the girl's about to be raised back to life. But again, Jairus didn't know that. Her, her mother did not know that the family and friends who were laughing. They didn't know that even the disciples themselves did not know that Jesus was about to raise her from the dead. I don't want us to miss the significance of this moment. It might be the most powerful part of this whole story to me. 
that as far as everyone in this moment knew, Jesus was entering with them into the most painful part of their life. It's actually the second part of the solution Jesus has for us, that he, he enters our sorrow with us. That not only does he encourage, encourage us to trust him, but he enters our sorrow with us. One of my favorite parts about the Christmas season is how much we focus on a particular name of Jesus. I don't know why we don't focus on it outside of the Christmas season. Maybe it's on us pastors to do a better job at that. But it's, it is one of the most powerful and, and beautiful descriptions of who Jesus is and why he came for us. It's also found in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And it's a prophecy, uh, again, about the coming of the Messiah, the Savior of the world. We now know Jesus fulfilled this prophecy. He is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Look what it says, Isaiah 7, 4. All right, then. The Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is what? With us. God is with us. That, that Jesus enters our sorrow. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Not just at Christmas time, but every single day and especially in our sorrow. We already read it earlier, Isaiah 53, 4, that prophecy about Jesus, yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. My question is, how can he carry our weaknesses if he's not there with us? How could our sorrows weigh him down if he's not there? In the New Testament story of Lazarus, who we, we know Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but Lazarus was a close friend of Jesus and a close friend of, of the family Jesus was to, to them. And Lazarus was in the tomb for four days and Jesus shows up and he enters into the pain with this family. And even though Jesus was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, there are, there's one verse with two words in it, maybe the most powerful two words in scripture. You know them, what's it say? Jesus wept. In that moment of pain, even though he knew he was about to take it away, he entered sorrow with this grieving family. And speaking of tears, Psalm 56 verse 8 says this, you keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You've recorded each one in your book. Like how could he collect my tears unless he's right there beside me when I cry? How powerful is that? Jesus is our hope because he has a solution for our sorrow. And what's the solution for our sorrow? He encourages us to trust him. He enters our sorrow with us. Listen, I do not know how people walk through sorrow without faith in Jesus. I just don't know how it's done. Because I know even in the smallest parts of sorrow, it's the presence of Jesus that makes all the difference in the world. He enters 
with us. And then look at the end of the story, Mark 5, 41 through 43. So he goes in the room, the daughter, the girl's laying there, she's dead, holding her hand. He said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened, and then he told them to give her something to eat. Third thing I see in this story is this. He exceeds all of our expectations. He exceeds all of our expectations. The scripture says they were overwhelmed and totally amazed. I love the meaning of this word amazed in the Greek. It means this, a displacement of the mind bewilderment or ecstasy. Isn't that awesome? Like if you want to see it in the Greek language, it looks like this. <laughs> That's my emoji, by the way. Mind blown. That's literally what it means. Their minds were blown. Now again, you might say, well, of course their minds were blown. Of course they were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus raised a dead girl back to life. If he did that for me, I'd be amazed as well. And listen, I, I want to be careful in this moment. In no way do I want to be or sound insensitive here, okay? But did you know the most amazing thing that Jesus could ever do on our behalf is not something on the outside for us? That even if Jesus stopped all of our sorrow, even if Jesus stopped all the things that caused our sorrow, even if he raised the dead, that's not the most amazing thing he could do for us. That's not the biggest way he could exceed our expectations. Let me show you uh, one of the most misused verses in the Bible. If this is your life verse, I apologize if I'm ruining it for you. But so often we take verses like this and we apply it to our finances or our physical lives or our, our, uh, some situation that's causing us sorrow or trouble in life. Ephesians 3 verse 20 is the verse. It says this, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Now leave that verse up there. When we use that verse, which we often do in Christianity, when we use that verse to claim that God should do something for me that exceeds my expectations, we are misusing that verse and missing the point. Now, God, can God do things for me that exceed my expectations? Absolutely. We prayed for that last week with healing. But notice two key words in this verse. If we're using this verse that way, it's wrong. Two words, within us. Now all glory to God who's able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. You see, anything that we could ever ask God to do for us Jesus wants to exceed that by doing something in us. Greater than God's power to stop our sorrow is the power he gives the believer to walk through it and not lose faith. It's a power within us 
that will accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. In Revelation 21, God gives a promise for all those who believe in and follow Jesus. That one day, by our faith in Jesus, his death on the cross paying the price for our sins, the power of the Holy Spirit raising Jesus from the dead, that not only can our sins be forgiven, not only can we have new life today and power to live our lives for Jesus every day, but one day, one day, by faith in Jesus, we will spend eternity with this Jesus who carries our sorrows. And the promise God gives for those who believe is Revelation 21, verse 4. That when we're with him for eternity, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone for how long? Forever. But until that day, Jesus is our hope because he's got a solution for our sorrow. And what's that solution? He encourages us to trust him. He enters our sorrow with us, and he exceeds all our expectations. I believe Jesus is speaking to some hearts today. Don't be afraid. Just have faith. Don't, don't pull away from me. Put your faith in me. Don't, don't leave me. Lean on me. Trust me. Even when life doesn't make sense. I want to end today with kind of two things here. First of all, I just want to pray for anyone in the room who's experiencing any kind of sorrow. I don't care what caused it. I don't care what level of sorrow it is. We're, we're a family here. We want to pray for you. So I'm going to ask you just to pause for a moment of reflection. Just bow your heads, close your eyes. And if that's you, if you're experiencing any kind of sorrow today, I want to pray for you. Would you just raise your hand and leave it up for a second? I want to, I want to see it. I want to pray for you. Just leave them up. Lots of hands going up everywhere. I see them. I see them. You can put them down, God, in the name of Jesus. Our hope. There's lots of sorrow and pain in this room, Lord, and I pray, Jesus, would you enter into those pockets of sorrow in this moment? Would you enter into the room where there is death and God, would you bring life? Jesus, I pray that you would whisper words of life and hope and healing to each soul that raised their hand. Don't be afraid, just have faith. Don't pull away from me, put your faith in me. Don't withdraw, lean into me. I'm with you, I'm Emmanuel. God in the flesh, God with us. 
And Jesus, would you in this very moment for every hand that went up, would you begin to exceed expectations? Yes, God, we would love it if you stopped those things that caused our sorrow. And we are not afraid to ask for that. But Lord, even if you don't, Jesus, we declare our trust is in you. Exceed expectations in us. Give us power in our lives to walk through sorrow holding on to you. Lord, would you collect tears in this moment? Write them in your book. Come alongside those who are hurting. Second thing I want to do is I want to give you an opportunity to put your faith in Jesus. Because here's the thing. If Jesus took away all your sorrow but does not forgive you of your sins, it's pointless. It's pointless. Because you'll spend eternity separated from that very God who can save you, sozo you. That promise of Revelation 21, no more crying, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain. That's a great promise, but it's available for those who believe in Jesus. So if you're here today, you've never put your faith in Jesus to forgive you of your sins. There's a reason why you're here today, and that's it. So if you want to do that, just say this prayer silently. Just repeat it in your heart to God, Father in heaven. I believe in Jesus, that he is God in the flesh, died for my sins and rose again. So Jesus, I confess all my sins to you. Please wash me clean and make me new. Forgive me of all my sins. I, I repent from my old sinful life. I turn to you, and, and by your power, I will follow you in a new life. I receive from you salvation. Come into my heart. Jesus, thank you for loving me. I'll do my best to love you back. It's in your name I pray. Amen.